Now, tonight we're going to do something special, which I thought would be kind of fun. It's back when I was uh, assigned to speak in sacrament meeting. I had um, a missionary that was with me in that particular meeting, and I knew that as soon as he came up, that, that uh, he'd take the whole time. I mean, that was just a foregone conclusion. And so what I did is I just said, well, continually cut my talk back, 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 until finally I knew that it was over. So I didn't give any of it. But I thought, okay, maybe I can deliver it on a podcast, which I thought would be kind of fun. And so I, uh, I, had it all, I have it all written out and would like to uh, read it to you. And maybe there's some value there. So let's go. On July 23rd, 1857, the logging road leading to Silver Lake, now Brighton, in Big Conwood Canyon was crowded with guests, invited to a celebration of the 10th anniversary of the arrival of the Mormon pioneers. A 15-mile canyon journey. By mid-afternoon, 2,587 people riding in 464 carriages and wagons with 1,360 horses, mules, and oxen to pull them had passed up the canyon road. Now just imagine all those people going within a few hours. Had to be incredible. And the wagon jam that they'd have and the debris and other things on the road as you traveled up, incredible. Serenaded by brass bands from Salt Lake City, Springville, and Ogden, the people set up camp near the lake. Companies of the Nauvoo Legion, the Utah Militia, paraded and drilled. At sunset, a bugle called summoned the people to prayer. Brigham Young spoke of the arrival of the pioneers and how God had blessed them to create a garden in the desert. A prayer of thanksgiving was followed by an evening of dancing and three planked floors, bowries built for the party. Pioneer Day began with breakfast, prepared over hundreds of small campfires. The American flag flew from treetops and from nearby rocky peaks. Just after nine, rounds were fired from a small brass canyon, cannon in honor of Mormon leaders, and again an hour later to salute a parade of 10 to 12-year-old boys. The crowds relaxed in small groups, went swimming and boating, and were played on swings suspended from tree limbs. About noon, four dusty riders, Abraham O. Smoot, Justin Stoddard, Porter Rockwell, and Elias Smith, arrived in camp bringing the news for which Pioneer Day, 1857, is best remembered. The displeasure of the federal government with what they believed were conditions of anarchy in Utah had reached the boiling point. A substantial portion of the United States Army, estimated at 2,500 men, were marching towards Utah beginning what we know today as the Utah War. Brigham Young decided to not reveal this unwelcome news until the end of the evening after the celebrations had ended. He finally announced that the Saints were in jeopardy by the U.S. government, who was assigned to eliminate the anarchy in Utah, and that 2,500 soldiers were on their way to Utah. The Mormons once again took this trial with resolve and faith, as they have in the years past, They knew that the Lord would take care of them as long as they were faithful and true to the gospel. That still did not placate some of the angst and fear because of this terrible announcement. Eventually, through a great deal of faith, negotiations, and prayer, the Utah war was was resolved with only minor casualties. 
Can you imagine what went through the heads of the Mormons when they learned of the army coming? How would you feel if you knew there were 2,500 army troops coming to destroy you and your family and the things that you own? It was faith in the Lord that cemented these people to the rock of Jesus Christ. Faith built through adversity and trials. Faith built by overcoming doubt, affliction, and the wiles of the adversary. The ability to listen to the Holy Ghost and face trials head-on knowing that Christ was there with you on every move. I had the opportunity to participate in the Draper Days Parade. We were moving down Fort Street when I noticed the place where my great-grandfather, Ephraim K. Hanks, received multiple revelations from an angel one evening. It was in the home of Guernsey Brown in the southwest corner of the original fort in Draper, where the pavilion is today. He was told about the ill-fated Martin Hancock Company that was stranded in Martin's Cove, Wyoming. He was to, told to go and rescue these people who were caught in a terrible winter blizzard. In Salt Lake City, the prophet Brigham Young had just learned that a contingent of 60 wagons sent to rescue the Martin Hancock Companies turned around because of the severe weather. He was beside himself, thinking of the hundreds of starving saints in the mountains. At this point, he did not have any options to rescue them. Ephraim arrived at the prophet's door just when he learned about the reversal of the rescue wagons. Ephraim told the prophet about the visit of the angel in Draper and his commission to rescue the saints in Wyoming. When he visited the prophet, he told him he was prepared and ready to go right now. The prophet then blessed him and sent him on his way. It was in the middle of November when the snows were deep. It was extremely cold and miserable traveling up Immigration Canyon. In fact, it was so bad, he had to abandon his little wagon with supplies. Upon guidance from the Holy Ghost and protection from the Lord, Ephraim knew exactly what he should do and where he should go. On his way there, the Lord provided two buffalo, which he killed and took the meat and loaded it on two horses. He reached a hill called Split Rock and spied something that looked like a small creek in the snow. It turned out to be the ill-fated Martin Hancock Company. When he reached the gaunt, starving saints, the horses were stripped of the buffalo meat in minutes. With his bottle of consecrated oil, he was able to bless many of the pioneers and even bring some back from the dead. In fact, Annie, my wife's third great-grandmother, Martha Robinson Blackham, on her mother's side, and her great-great-grandfather, Thomas Blackham, on her father's side, were two of those rescued in the Hancock Company. Without this rescue, my sweet Annie may not be here today. He led the Hancock Company out of the mountains, killing buffalo along the way. There was a movie called Ephraim's Rescue that chronicled these events. As with Ephraim Hanks, we all have a mission that we, and only we, can achieve. In many cases, you are the one that the Lord has specifically selected for this task. It's you, and only you, that will be able to utilize your talents. Maybe not as dramatic as rescuing 500 starving saints, but equally as important in the eyes of the Lord. How would you feel if in the next life you learned that you could not have been a tool in the hands of the Lord, unfortunately because of your unrighteous lifestyle, that prevented you from hearing the whisperings of the Holy Ghost and completing the mission that the Lord had in store for you? That opportunity would be lost, and someone may have suffered the consequences because you were not prepared. Across the street in my original home in Cottonwood Heights, my neighbor had the last stages of MS. 
He would faithfully visit my home every month for nine years without fail, coming over in his wheelchair as my home teacher, even during the most treacherous snowstorms or intense heat. In fact, one day approaching my home, he fell in his wheelchair in a substantial amount of snow. Covered in snow, he looked at us and laughed. We all lifted him back into the chair, and he insisted that he still deliver his message to my family. He then proceeded to deliver a most powerful message, even though he still had snow all over him and melting on him. He was a brilliant attorney and always had a spiritual message, a good laugh, and a wonderful thought, even through the terrible disease played havoc on his body. It also affected his vocal cords, making it difficult to understand him. My family was fortified every month for these nine years as they listened to his somewhat garbled words from a powerful home teacher representing the Lord. His remarkable faith and commitment to serving God made him a powerful messenger of the Lord. I had the opportunity to serve as a part of the church writing committee for three years for the John Taylor and David O. McKay Priesthood and Relief Society manuals. I learned that these prophets were not exempt from serious calamities in their lives. David O. McKay, for example, was almost decapitated when he sped to cross a bridge that was to be washed out by the raging Ogden River. He failed to see a warning cable that was strung across the road to stop cars from crossing the bridge. Catching the cable with his neck, he received serious wounds to his neck and face. He laid in a hospital for months with bandages on his face and neck, wondering if he would live. And if so, would he be totally disfigured? He was later blessed by Heber J. Grant that he would have a full recovery with no sign of the accident. David O. McKay served over 19 years as one of the greatest prophets of the Lord without one scar or blemish on his face or neck. John Taylor was in Carthage jail when the prophet Joseph Smith, with the prophet Joseph Smith, when he received several near-fatal gunshot wounds to his body from the vicious mob. The only help he could receive in Carthage after the melee at the jail was was from a kind veterinarian who did all he could to stop the bleeding. Some of the Mormons who were at the scene wanted him to stay in Carthage until he got the blood loss under control. John Taylor insisted that he be taken to Nauvoo and receive proper medical treatment. He was then pulled 22 miles on a wooden sled attached to a horse over terribly bumpy roads with these fatal wounds. Arriving in Nauvoo, the prophet was nearly drained of all his blood, and through a miracle he recovered to later lead the church with only a slight limp because of these serious wounds from gunshots. Certainly these prophets could have succumbed to their tragedy. However, in both cases, through the great exercise of faith and the blessing of the Lord, they went on to become great prophets and lead the church to greatness. So what challenge will come your way? Could it be cancer, loss of a loved one, an accident, MS, COVID, disease, stroke, or something else? Are you spiritually prepared to endure these afflictions and the rise to the occasion, even though you may have pain and suffering beyond reason? I learned about my high school best friend who lived with my family because of his extreme hostility in his home. After several excruciating months in ICU, COVID finally got the best of him. Even under a respirator, on the last week of his life, he remarkably was still sharing the gospel as he wrote a message and challenged a nurse to read the Book of Mormon. 
As a 33-year-old bishop, I had one mother who left five children behind when she died of cancer. It was incredible to feel their strength and faith, even through death, was eminent. As she struggled through the painful last days of her life, I will never forget the look on her husband's and five children's faces as they saw their mother in a casket. Although this could have been devastating, they all exercised their great faith in God and went on to live successful lives. Personally, I have faced extremely tough challenges dealing with severe depression throughout my life. There were times when nothing in life really mattered. It was debilitating and extremely destructive. I'm sure there are some listening to my voice right now that can relate to what I am talking about. If so, please seek immediate professional help. It was my sweet wife Annie who listened to the Holy Ghost and came to my rescue multiple times. She metaphorically brought me the buffalo meat and consecrated oil to rescue me and help me back to a normal life. I love her so much for her righteous living. She is an angel. So what can we do now to receive the continual guidance from the Holy Ghost? Well, let's start with a few of the basics. First, read the Book of Mormon daily. Feast upon the scriptures and things that you read and absorb those messages so that you can practice some of the things in your daily life. Fast often. Fast with a purpose. Fast with the understanding that the Lord will help you and that you are making a small sacrifice of food to be able to show to Him your willingness to come back and repent. Repent daily. Repent often. Repent hourly. I know in my life that if I'm not continually repenting and changing, that I'm not moving forward. Pray morning and evening. And talk to God as often as you can. Pray verbally and maybe pray in your mind. But keep in your mind the importance of God and His presence in your life. And finally, serve frequently. And what I'm saying, find opportunities where you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Share your love and your concern by being there and helping those others who might not be as fortunate as we are. Please take a moment and reflect what God has given you. Evaluate your personal righteousness and what you can do to get closer to the Lord. Finally, be thankful for what you have been given by the sacrifice of the pioneers and many that have come before you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it uh, interesting and maybe a few things you could have picked up on it. And we'll uh, see you next week.